1: I, I don't know. I was frustrated watching it. Like I was dreading watching the end of it because I knew what was coming.
0: <laughs> exactly. I, that's what the whole purpose is. And let's <laughs> let's let's talk about it right now. What's up, everyone? Welcome into a new episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of Land Grant Holyland dot com. And we are here on our series, our quest to rank the most rewatchable twenty most rewatchable Ohio State games of all time. Before we start today's episode. I want to remind you where you can find the show. That is, one, by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, and two, probably the best way to listen to the show, and that is on Spotify. Go to your Spotify, search Land Grant Holy Land, and you can find The Hangout in the Holy Land, uh, all the episodes recruiting-wise that Patrick does with Matt Tamanini, every single podcast we have available here on Land, Grant, and Holy Land is available there. And you don't have to have the premium version of Spotify. This is for everyone. You can have the free version. Find it there. Just search Land, Grant, and Holy Land in the podcast section of Spotify and find it there as we continue counting down the 20 most rewatchable Ohio State games of all time. With that out of the way, Patrick, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really great. We talked before I started hitting record on this and I think this is going to be our favorite episode to talk about because we have two different games here and I think they are both exciting in very different ways and these are games 14 and 13 on our list and I, I think so far we've done pretty well and as we continue to climb down or climb up this list... We're starting to get into some, I think, classics, and once we get into the top ten, these are going to be games that I'm very excited to watch.
1: Yeah, this um, this week especially was one that I was kind of looking forward to, like last week as we were going through last week's and um, going back and watching the two games that we're talking about today. It, it was like, you know, kind of confirmed to me that these were really good games. In fact, one of them that we're we're going to talk about, um, <clears throat> I think has a case to be in the top 10 because I had forgotten just how fun it was. Um, And I I think that's the one that we're going to start with looking at the list. But yeah, we're we're certainly getting down into the, the, you know, top tier Ohio State rewatchable games.
0: Let's get into it right now. So number 14 on our list is Ohio State's 63 to 14 win over Penn State in 2013. And last episode, we talked about what what was the oh the beatdown against Nebraska in 2016 the 62 to three game and even though Ohio State scored the same amount of points in this one Penn State scored eleven more points than Nebraska did in that one this one <laughs> felt like it was an even bigger ass. It's whooping.
1: violent. It's violent. For
0: whatever reason, this felt personal at the time and it felt personal on rewatch. And I don't know why, because this was pre-James Franklin. This was Bill O'Brien's last season at Penn State. But for some reason, this game felt super personal for Ohio State and they just whooped their ass up and down the field.
1: Well, I think the thing that... Um I, I kind of gathered from it, and this is actually mentioned in the Associated Press recap in like the lead paragraph. It mentions that uh, Ohio State came into this game at number four and they were undefeated. I don't know who was ahead of them at the time. I, I don't remember. I'm I'm assuming that probably Florida State, Auburn, Auburn and was, Oregon
0: yeah. maybe. At least two of those, yeah.
1: At least two of them. But Ohio State came in at number four, and the the lead mentions that it, it really feels like Ohio State was trying to score some style points here in the BCS numbers and uh, jump up a little bit because it was getting pretty late in the season, and Ohio State still kind of looked like the the odd man out. Obviously, that didn't end up mattering, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later because I have some thoughts on that. Um, but this was really, it was like a, uh, a uh, 2014 Wisconsin-style beatdown where it does kind of feel personal, but I, I think it was mostly just that, Ohio State wanted to fully showcase what they were um, you know, able to do and, and what they were capable of, and it just happened to be that Penn State was the one that got in the way.
0: <laughs> this was Penn State's worst loss since 1899. When you whoop <laughs> somebody's ass so bad that it's you set the mark a over, over a century, a century <laughs> then you know that it is a big beatdown. I have a very soft spot for the 2013 team. And I don't know if we've talked, they great. I don't know if we've talked a lot about them here on the podcast. And we, I don't think people talk about them enough to be quite honest because one, the defense was so bad. We we thought <laughs> this past year's defense was bad. I'll have to go back and look what their S P was, but I went back and looked at the 2013 team. They were 44th. I think Everett Withers was at least co-defensive coordinator before Urban Meyer was like, Hey man, um, yeah. Go, go take the James Madison job, please, or else I'm going to fire you. <laughs> they were just super young still, I think. But also with the amount of talent they had, Bradley Roby, Ryan Shazier, some of the players along the defensive line, they shouldn't have been as off as they were. One of the games from that season that sticks out to me was against Illinois, where the offense basically did whatever they wanted, and, and they were up almost 30 points in that game and they ended up winning like 63 to 35 and Illinois made a game out of it just because the defense was so bad and so Swiss cheese. And in this game, you don't really have to worry about that, but that was kind of the fatal flaw in that team.
1: Yeah. The, um, 2018 Ohio state defense was 26th in S and P plus, which I don't think is super reflective necessarily. I think that kind of, um, has some similar issues that we, we had with people responding to our, our podcast during the season where they said, but the final score. Um, but two, two teams that were, I think, kind of similar, 2018 and 2013 for different reasons. Um, and this actually, it hit me a little bit earlier when I was watching it. Um, 2013 Ohio State was to running the ball as 2018 Ohio State was to passing. Um, and... Both teams, like you mentioned, not good defenses, really, really bad defenses. Ohio State in 2013, particularly I think one of the worst Ohio State defenses we've seen in a really long time. Um, but just the way that they could run the football really stood out to me because, you know, you got Braxton Miller, you got Carlos Hyde, who I think is um, vastly, vastly underrated in Ohio State running back history, probably one of the um, – most talented I won't say most accomplished because he just didn't play for that long probably one of the most talented and freakish Ohio State running backs I've ever seen I mean what was he six foot one 240 pounds something and, you like know, that there there's a play in this game where six foot one 240 pounds and he just breaks away from everybody for like an easy long touchdown and it's like it's almost uncanny <laughs> watching him run and you know Hyde Miller that offensive line, which was secretly really good, and then Tom Herman and, and Urban Meyer combining to design a running game, uh, I, I really do think that like you know if you want great passing, watch 2018. If you want great running, you're not going to find better than 2013. I mean this, this offense. You know, and I, I know that you led with the defense, but I really like. I, I think I could talk about this <laughs> offense for like three hours, because like they were just nasty running the football.
0: One last thing about the defense was that was 2013, the year that the pizza man showed up at Luke Fickle's door and was like, hey, man, you're really bad. Like, do you remember that, that that was a thing? No. You don't remember that? I swear to God, it might have been that season where Luke Fickle in end-of-season interviews or at some point said that a pizza man showed up at his door and was like, what's up with the defense, dude? (laughs) I don't know. Someone please send me a tweet at Dubsco or us a tweet at Holy Land Pod to confirm that i don't know if it was that year but i remember that that's like a true story that is something that happened do that you rules. want <laughs> stats on ohio state's run game that year just so we can yeah give it really explain <laughs> how good they were okay total rushing yards four thousand three hundred twenty one. Second behind auburn auburn had 4,596 ohio state had about 100 less attempts than them um 6.8 yards per carry which was first nationally that's obscene 45 <laughs> rushing touchdowns good for fifth nationally 308 yards per game which I don't have what it was but I looked it up earlier today it was either fourth or fifth they were top five in that too Carlos Hyde had 1500 yards rushing average seven yards per carry scored 15 rushing touchdowns Braxton Miller had over a thousand yards rushing, six point two yards per carry, twelve touchdowns. Both of those guys each missed two games, so Hyde could have conceivably ran.
1: Hyde missed three, didn't
0: he? It was either I think two he or missed threes, the first three. Something games. like that. He could have rushed for eighteen hundred yards that season. Jordan Hall even had over five hundred yards, <laughs> six point six
1: average for Jordan Hall.
0: <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott only had two hundred sixty-two yards rushing. I think half of that was against Florida A&M but he averaged almost nine yards per carry and two touchdowns. And Kenny yeah, Guyton... Each
1: of the each of the top six rushers on this team averaged more than 6.2 yards per carry. The lowest average was Braxton Miller.
0: <laughs> Kenny Guyton had over 300 yards rushing too. So it was just an overall absurd amount of riches. I would go even further than what you said about comparing this offense to the this past year's offense just in terms of what they were to running this year's team was to passing. I think that the 2013 team was the best offense that we saw under Urban Meyer. It wasn't the most balanced by far. They still had their issues here and there throwing the ball. I think for the most part, though, they were they were pretty good. And if you go back and watch, especially in this game, Braxton Miller makes some nice throws, but the sheer power of their running game, I think puts them above every other offense, just, just in terms of sheer power, because the 2014 team was obviously more balanced. They could do more things throwing and running, but their sheer strength running the ball, they were second in offensive S&P Plus in 2013, only behind AM under Johnny Manziel, which, I mean, you, if you're only second to them, you're doing pretty damn good offensively. I think this was overall the best offense we saw under Urban Meyer. And it was the most creative. This, this was where they were still doing a lot of Different things. They weren't really forcing a guy like Dontre Wilson to play in the slot. He catches a touchdown out of the backfield on a swing pass in this game. This was still where the offense wasn't just Braxton right, Braxton left, read option left, read option right. I, I thought that just going back and watching, I forgot how much different stuff they had in the tool bag. And as the years went on, that really dwindled.
1: Yeah, it, it really is like... I think that there's, you know, an appropriate amount of disdain for Tim Beck and and Ed Warner, but I think the worst thing that they did to Ohio State's offense was just how much they they took out of the playbook because, you know, like with J T. Barrett, who obviously was not as explosive a runner as Braxton Miller, but I think just as good at running the read option in terms of actually reading it, probably better at reading it. Um, that you know that was really the biggest change from 2013 to when those guys eventually left 2016 and then we saw that kind of instituted back in in 2017 but not a ton because Ryan Day just isn't really that kind of coach but um yeah I, I think that this 2013 team probably you know and that's it's backed up by the points per game as well probably the best offense in you know maybe Ohio State history certainly when Urban Meyer was at Ohio State it was just and you know reflected in this game, that running attack was just unstoppable. Uh they had six rushing touchdowns <laughs> in, in this game alone.
0: Four hundred eight yards rushing.
1: Yeah, four hundred and eight <laughs> yards rushing, an eight yard average. Uh and that wasn't even like a result of a bunch of super long runs. They certainly had their share of explosive runs, but I mean the longest in the game was the Jordan Hall run. Um you mentioned and I, I want to touch on this real quick, because this is one of like my uh, my strongest held Ohio State opinions, and uh, I, I have it similarly about Demario McCall. I fear that this is going to happen to Jalen Gill as well. Uh, we've talked about it before, how the, the H-back position is bad, in my opinion. Um, Dontre Wilson was a running back, and they used him wrong every year after 2013, because like you see it in this game. He had one carry. He had the touchdown out of the backfield, like you mentioned. He has the the massive kickoff return. I think it's early in the game where um, he just obliterates the kicker with a spin move and the the kicker goes flying and the announcers are all excited about it. Um, I'm still, to this day, upset that Dontre Wilson got moved to receiver because that guy was a running back and he would have been a really, really good running back.
0: I can't stand Dontre Wilson, but I do agree with you that (laughs) he was misused. I I do think he was completely misused and the spin move on the kickoff return. It was nasty. It's obscene. It's obscene. He He literally pirouettes in the middle of the field and cuts to the left. They had 408 yards rushing, which like is great. You you're going to win basically any game when you rush for over 400 yards. But when you pair that by having 278 yards passing on 20 completions out of 26 attempts, uh, you're doing pretty good for 686 <laughs> total yards. And if that's the reason why you guys should watch this game. Because this is peak offense at, at its finest. We talked about the Nebraska game last week and Ohio State scoring 63 points and that really didn't feel like yeah, that was kind of a was,
1: defense blowout yeah the defense yeah, totally defense, controlled the game
0: yeah this one is just pure mauling on offense this is taking out the chainsaw and just going ham because that's exactly what they did Braxton Miller throwing intermediately throwing deep hitting the short stuff like the touchdown to Dontre Wilson just getting the ball of the playmakers and then running the ball Carlos Hyde isn't touched a lot of times after like six (laughs) yards and the times he is he just bounces off defenders but like you said about the offensive line I don't know if I've seen Ohio State play a game at least against Big Ten competition or Power Five competition where the holes were bigger almost every single run there's two or three feet of space on each side of Carlos Hyde or Braxton Miller when they decide to run the ball.
1: I think the Oregon game, the the national championship game, was close. Um, that run in general had, you know, a lot of the same guys on the line, and those guys worked really well together. But this is certainly, I mean, you know, you mentioned the passing game being really good, and I don't know if that was necessarily fully a reflection of um, Braxton Miller's ability to pass. At this point, he still wasn't a great passer. I mean, never really.
0: That was a uh, nice little strike a, down the middle. Though. I yeah, think Corey yeah, Smith had, in this one.
1: Yeah, he had some solid throws. That was really his whole career as a passer was he would flash these great throws and then he would make some kind of weird throws and um, very strange throwing motion. I, I hadn't really realized it at the time because it had just been ingrained in my head. He, It's a very like extended throwing motion where he goes down yeah. to like half of his height when he releases it. Um, but certainly, I, I don't know if... Um, if the passing game was entirely reflective of the talent on this team is as much as it was that just, you know, Ohio State's offense could do whatever they wanted in this game. I, I think if they, you know, if, if they decided that they really wanted to establish the passing game, they probably could have thrown for 400 yards. Um, they were just, you know, it's like, it's it's hard to, to overstate just how much, like, this was offensive domination. Penn State never really had a chance because Ohio State's offensive line was so good because they were bar- bouncing off of Carlos Hyde just every single play, and he was getting 10 yards every single run, and they couldn't figure out who was keeping the ball on the read option, and there was, like, um, very early on RPO stuff, I'm in, I I noticed, like, um, I think there was a slant pass in the, the first quarter that looked pretty RPO-esque that worked really well. And uh, also in that first quarter was, I think, the play that everybody remembers from this game where um, Marcus Hall just crushes a dude. Like, absolutely (laughs) crushes him. And it wasn't even that big of a gain. I think they punted on the next play. But Braxton Miller gets, like, 14 yards on the run after Marcus Hall murders some Penn State defensive end. And um, it, it really was, like, Penn State quit very early in this game because they realized that they just did not have a prayer against how physical and how good Ohio State's offense was.
0: If you're looking for other reasons to watch, go back and watch this I don't this think game, you really need any others. You don't, you don't need <laughs> any other, but I'm going to give people some. One, it's a absolutely brutal game for Christian Hackenberg if you're into that sort of day. thing. He has a
1: very bad day. Was he a freshman for this?
0: I believe he was a sophomore, but I could be wrong. I don't remember. No, you know what? He was a freshman because Matt McGloin... Uh, was playing in the 2012 Legend. game, and through through the pick <laughs> six to Ryan. Ch- hey, that's that's right, Matt yeah. McGloin that went into the horseshoe in 2011 and yeah. uh, and beat Ohio State. Unfortunately, but he's 12 of 23 in this game for 112 yards, good for 4.9 Two yards per really attempt. Bad and
1: receptions too. Really, really. Bad yeah, the one
0: in the end zone on one of the first drives. Uh, So if you're into that sort of thing, this is a bad Christian Hackenberg game. New York Jets fans, if you want to cleanse the palate, uh, this one's for you. Also, I don't think – I like when Ohio State beats Michigan more. Obviously, that's uh, – we all do. But I enjoy watching Penn State take an ass-whooping more than any other team in the country. And Ohio State doesn't whoop up on them a ton. We saw it the next time they came to the Horseshoe in 2015 – and the wins the past couple of years are probably a bit sweeter because Penn State should have won both of those games and Ohio State has just stolen them. But this one was pretty awesome. You don't beat Penn State like this a ton, and boy, did they just whip their ass.
1: I think I have a, t- a hot take on that. I don't know actually how hot it is. Um, I'm more scared of Penn State than I am of Michigan. Like yeah, the week sure. I'm, Yeah, sure. I'm, I, 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 I'm there. I, I think like especially when it's at Penn State, I'm like infinitely more afraid of a game at happy valley than i am in ann arbor um i I don't know if that's you know an insult of michigan it's not really meant to be it's more of a compliment for for penn state and the the atmosphere that they create there and the fact that they always play ohio state extremely close and i would certainly agree that when you know ohio state and you know this was a this was a down penn state team this was a penn state team in a really rough patch i mean Um, You know, one of their leading rushers, uh, I think the season before or maybe after was Zach Zwinak, which is not what you want to see if you're (laughs) if you're the fan of a a team that has to start Zach Zwinak at running back. But, um, you know, even when it's a down Penn State team, like you said, it's really satisfying to just beat the hell out of them. And this is, I think, you know, probably the biggest ass whooping on the rest of the list, um, except for maybe the Wisconsin game. And even then, I think this is certainly the best offensive performance that we have on the list.
0: Yeah, Zach Zwinick had a thousand yards straight up in 2012 <laughs> after noted state college trader Silas Red left to go play mm-hmm. for USC. Bill Belton was actually one of the only players for Penn State with a pulse in this game. Him and Alan Robinson basically had to do everything. And I I don't think that that's a hot take about Penn State because they've actually beat Ohio State recently. Michigan just hasn't. But (laughs) even then, Penn State, how many games have they beaten Ohio State in the last decade if we want to go back to 2008? What, 2008, 2011, and 2016? So even them, we, we fear playing them every single year. And they've only beaten Ohio State three times in the last 10 years. That's really just how good Ohio State has been. But I I do think that it's less of an insult to Michigan. Well, it's a big insult to Michigan. But it is also a compliment to Penn State. Like, yeah, we actually do fear you guys. I remember going into this year's game, I think we might have both picked them to lose. And they probably should have, but managed to pull it out. Going into Penn State, or even when they come to the horseshoe, that week is tough, like you said, and they always play them extremely tough. And I definitely think that for as much as I don't like James Franklin, he has built them up to a point where you know they are legitimate contenders to beat Ohio State every single year.
1: No, I, I certainly wouldn't hate another 2013-style um, beatdown of Penn State this season. I do not see it coming based on where that is on the schedule and what they have. But it, it is always enjoyable regardless of who's coaching Penn State how much talent they have and this game is really a delight to watch
0: Ohio State probably could have scored 80 in this game
1: yeah yeah absolutely I think they could have run for like 600 yards I mean Braxton Miller was out like halfway through the third quarter they benched everybody and it was uh Kenny Guyton and Jordan Hall gashing (laughs) Penn State's defense for the last like 25 minutes
0: Cardale Jones also has like a 25 yard run on the last play of this game before they kneel the ball where he kind of spins and tries to hurdle over somebody. So even Cardale was trying to get in on the action. Do you have any final thoughts on this game? I feel like we've really sold people on the fact that if you just want to see Ohio State whoop somebody's ass and that somebody is Penn State, this is the game for you.
1: Yeah, this is a very nice, like, put it up on the TV. You don't need to pay a ton of attention to it. Just kind of relax and watch Braxton Miller run for a billion yards. I don't think I have anything else, though.
0: Moving on to number 13 on our list in a game that really, folks, for my selfish interest, is on this list. I love this game more than almost, I won't say more than anything because... One, it's the only loss on our list. I felt like, given that we're maybe the mo- the only objective Ohio State podcast on the internet, I feel yeah, like we're it's... We're
1: objectively anti-Ohio State.
0: <laughs> I feel like it's super on brand for us to have one loss in here if we're not just talking about the, the biggest Ohio State wins, the best Ohio State games. And I do think that this is one of the best games Ohio State has ever played, in, and that is... Their 2005 loss in the horseshoe to Texas, 25-22. Before I get on my rant about why this game should be on the list, I had it, I think, even higher when we put our lists together. I want to hear your thoughts on this game, and I want to try to, if you're not completely sold, persuade you and the listeners why I think this game is so good. Uh, yeah, you had it up at eleventh.
1: Um, so I watched, I watched this uh, primarily at the the gym. I really hadn't, I didn't remember it because I was pretty young for this game, and um, I don't usually go back and rewatch losses, just because that's that's not you know super high on my my list of priorities. I, I see enough bad Ohio State football. I, I don't need to see a ton more. Um, but you you really pushed hard for this one. We put it on the list, and I you know I decided okay I'll. I'll give it a chance. You advised me to watch the full broadcast and not highlights or anything, which I did. And um, I will say the I think it's I think it's ABC that broadcast this. It was yeah. either ABC or ESPN. It like part of their big. They were doing like a new BCS showcase thing where they wanted these great games on. It was kind of the original like the Saturday night big primetime game. Um, and what was it? Gary Danielson and was just it just Brent?
0: Brent, Him okay, and, yeah. Yeah, Brent and yeah. Gary Danielson. Yeah. I, I think for me, the GOAT broadcasting team. I thought uh, that they're mm. wonderful. At least for me. I love Gary Danielson. Brett Musburger's hit or miss, but ABC yeah. ABC era, Gary Danielson, and even C B S Gary Danielson, I think is my favorite color commentator. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Gary is good. Um Brent certainly has his his moments. But
0: he's got his flaws for sure. Th- th-
1: I could see why you wanted me to watch the full broadcast because it's a really cool energy. You know, there this is like one of the first major Ohio State things that happens after Gene Smith was hired and you actually see him there's a section early in the game where he's down on the sidelines and the broadcast is like talking to him a little bit about how he wants to schedule more games like this. And they, of course, go to Texas the next season. We talked about that on our last episode. Um, and it's, you know, this big night game. The stadium is all sorts of sold out. It's a really cool environment. Um, and then the actual game starts. And I could see you mentioned this last week. I'm not sure if you mentioned it actually on the podcast or off air. You mentioned that, like, pretty much all of the significant plays are made by the you know the best of the best players it seems like um you know Vince Young has the big touchdown pass late in the game that actually kind of seals the win for Texas he had one early in the game as well he's he's running well early he does not run well um really through the rest of the game because Ohio State's defense and specifically Bobby Carpenter kind of steps up but um, I, I can see what you're talking about with the really good players making plays. And it, it's certainly – I have kind of mixed opinions on this game because no matter what, uh, what, uh, what it comes off as on this podcast where I'm very frequently anti-Ohio State, I don't love watching Ohio State lose football games. It's not great for me. Uh, and Ohio State does lose this game in a fairly frustrating fashion. So I, I do think I need salt on that a little bit, but I can certainly see the draw of this game. That was kind of my my main takeaway from watching this is that, you know, there was a there was a whole bunch of talent on the field. You've got uh Jamal Charles plays most of the second half after um, Selvin Young fumbled in the first half and Mac Brown benches them. And then you've got a bunch of receiver talent on Texas, specifically Lima's Sweet is really good in this game. And then on Ohio State, you've got Antonio Pittman, who was really good. You've got Santonio Holmes, uh, Ted Ginn, who actually had a really bad game outside of kickoff return. And then the the 2005 defense, which was outstanding. But um, I, I do think that just the... The frustrating nature of this game is a little hard for me to swallow, so I'm interested to hear your sell.
0: I can't deny how frustrating it is because I'll, we'll get into it here in a second. Ohio State probably should have won this game. I think for, they absolutely for a should couple won of different game, reasons, yeah. <laughs> but for me, this was a game. This was really for me. I was 15 at this point. This was my first really crushing defeat, and my brother was a student at UT at this time, so we had. That like inter-family oh, no. <laughs> dynamic, but as the years have gone on, and I, I'm with you. I, as much as we will criticize Ohio State on this podcast, it sucks when they lose. Like we hate it when Ohio's. Like I would so much rather talk about an ugly win. And we want them than, to be better. That's than talk why we talk about them. Purdue beating their ass or yeah. them losing any other game. But to me, at this point, it's been 14 years, and I can just go back and look at this game and be like, "Wow, this was." incredible and the fact that texas goes on and they end usc's dynasty and go down as one of the greatest teams ever that makes the sting a little bit less for me and just generally the overall atmosphere of this game because for as storied as both of these programs were and i know we talked about how the bowl system was where it's set up a lot of times for these powers to not play each other it's amazing that this was the first time these teams had ever played and they played yeah. three times in like the next four years after this game. But to add that into 105,000 people in the Horseshoe, which at that time was the largest crowd, it was, I think, maybe the 10th or 11th night game in the history of Ohio Stadium. Texas was ranked number two. They were coming off of that incredible Rose Bowl win where Vince Young kind of took the hype that he had been getting and supplanted it all against michigan by having when the broadcasters talk about that game a lot one of, this one. and that is if we're gonna just rank rewatchable games of all time that texas michigan rose bowl i think for me is in the top five because it's very funny it's football so game. absolutely crazy so texas had all this hype and vince young finally had turned the corner of just wow look at how talented this guy is as an athlete to man, this guy might win the Heisman. This guy could carry Texas to their first title in 30-plus years. And then on the other side, Ohio State is fresh off of beating Michigan as well in 2004 and then finishing the season by just destroying Oklahoma State and the Alamo Bowl, and they're ranked fourth. So you have these two titans, and you kind of all mash it up into this titanic clash, and kind of everybody looking for, okay, who's the next team that's going to play USC? Because we kind of know USC is going to be in that national championship. Who are we going to get to not prop up? Because I th- there was like three or four teams at the end of the year that I think were worthy of playing USC that were super good. And then this game starts from the beginning. Texas kind of takes it to them and they get up 10 nothing. and Ohio State fights back. And we would be remiss to not talk about one of the reasons Ohio State gets off to a slow start in this game is because Troy Smith is still kind of somewhat suspended because somewhat, because yeah. he took $500 from a booster, which now, looking back, another time, just non-story. Maybe we hear well, about it, it.
1: It would have either been a non-story or he would have gotten kicked out of school. It depends on what the NCAA Wheel of Fortune decides.
0: <laughs> in this scenario, the Wheel of Fortune is Jim Trestle, who starts yeah. Justin Zwick, and then Troy Smith comes on and they immediately score on the first two drives that he's in the game and they tie the game up. That's a beautiful throw. One of his it's best the, throws.
1: Uh, and the broadcast um I thought this was funny. The broadcast mentions that that touchdown pass to uh San Antonio Holmes in like the corner of the end zone should have been the end of the quarterback competition and like you're thinking, "Yeah, that seems right. It was a good throw." Uh
0: and then in the second half Justin Smith comes back out.
1: <laughs> you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> What happened?
0: <laughs> Should we talk about that right now? Because that's that's how the game ends. That was the most
1: frustrating part of this game for me. Was the
0: yeah? For me, it's the second most frustrating part because the first most and why I think they lost this game is they had unbelievable field position all throughout the game and they totally the off return team. Was they awesome. totally totally. Blow it. I went and I crunched the numbers, and I might not be 100% right on this, but average starting field position in this game. Texas started at their own 28 on average. Ohio State started on their own 42. And if you guys follow any of Bill C.'s work, our colleague who does a lot of great advanced stats stuff, if you have more than like a five-yard field position advantage, there's probably a good chance that you're going to win. Ohio State yeah, had have no fourteen losing yards. Losing. Twenty. <laughs> yeah. They had fourteen yards of field position advantage, and they had the ball on Texas's eighteen.
1: They won the turnover battle too, yeah, didn't they?
0: They did, and they they three times they had the ball in Texas's territory. Once at their eighteen, once at the Texas thirty, and once at the Texas thirty-seven. All three of those drives, nine total points, three field goals. That's why they lost this game. Is because they had. A huge field position advantage and they couldn't do anything with it
1: yeah there are uh i'm looking at just the the straight box score here there are three drives that really stand out to me four drives actually um so early in the second quarter it ends in a 45 yard field goal ohio state drive five plays 23 yards two minutes 13 seconds uh later in the second quarter 39 yard field goal four plays negative one yard two minutes um Later on, just a couple minutes later, 9 plays, 22 yards, 3 minutes, 25-yard field goal. And then to start the third quarter, 6 plays, 10 yards, uh, 2 minutes, 33 seconds, 44-yard field goal. So those are – I mean – and I I was thinking this watching the game too, like – It just felt like they kept getting right up on the end zone, and then they would, you know, there would be a penalty, or they'd call something stupid, or they'd put Justin Zwick in the game to run a a quarterback draw or something. It was like they didn't want to score touchdowns.
0: Those two possessions at the end of the half, their last two, where they had the ball at the Texas 18. And the Texas thirty, they got six and points then out of it. Texas ends up coming down and scoring a field goal at the end. Yeah, that's after I think Ramontz Taylor fields the kickoff in the end zone, and yeah. ba- <laughs> he like just barely steps over the line, and then has to turn back around like so six yards in into the end zone, and he avoids the safety, and then gets the ball out to like the thirty yard line. Has a really good return. They should have been up twenty to ten at half, and instead, I think they're only up sixteen. To 13. And then you add into not only the not taking advantage field position, but switching quarterbacks and the play calling in this game. Especially not when good. they get inside like the 35 yard line where it's immediate first down. Tim Beck looked like he called this game for Ohio State. Because they get inside the red zone and it's immediately like Troy Smith left, Troy Smith right. Um, and then they do the fake option pull out pass which worked a couple of times and one of was one of my favorite plays of the trestle era but against that defense with that type of speed it that was a tough go
1: yeah they um this was another thing that was mentioned like really early in the game I think it was one of the keys uh on the broadcast was that Texas had a bunch of really small linebackers um which I mean didn't obviously end up hurting them ton that season but I was thinking the whole game with that in mind like why is Antonio Pittman not touching the ball more? You know, why are they? Yeah. And, and Pittman actually gets kind of dinged up later in the game. He has kind of a, a fumble scare that I think gets reversed and he, he you know, gets a, a knee stinger. I don't think he missed any significant time. Um, but I, I kept thinking to myself, like if Texas has these small linebackers, what is Jim Trussell doing? Trying to run with a quarterback, trying to throw down the field. Like you've got Antonio Pittman and they don't have big linebackers just run right at him And, uh the the play calling kind of all game is like that and then it seems like in the fourth quarter he kind of catches on and starts to run a little bit more but it's still in kind of inappropriate times and they're still passing on first and 10 and uh at at that point in the fourth quarter i think justin wick plays almost the entire fourth quarter um and then Obviously, on the the drive that they could have gone down and and tied it after Texas took the lead, Zwick uh, has a really bad fumble um, on a run that was pretty ill-advised. He he ran a lot in this game, and each one of them was ill-advised. And then uh, Texas... Texas drive stalls out. Doesn't it they get stopped on like fourth and goal
0: at the one. Right yeah. Right at
1: yeah, right at the one. And then at that point he puts Troy Smith back in. And that one that made me really mad. With 23 when I, when seconds left. At his one yeah, yard with 23 line. 23 seconds left on his one yard line. It's like, dude, are you kidding me? Is this punishment? <laughs> why why are you putting him in the game to take this safety? Like you know it's going to be a safety. Why why does Troy Smith have to get this on his stat line? It was it was just like you know, Troy Smith was obviously the better quarterback in this game. Um, he wasn't great completion percentage wise. He was only five for 11, but I again, I don't think it was really his fault given the play calling. And he was very obviously a better runner. The offense was much better with him on the field. And it was, I, I think that, you know, the, the play calling certainly was frustrating. The inability to finish drives was frustrating. But just flip-flopping Troy Smith and Justin Zwick was so bad. It was so so bad, especially in the fourth quarter where they have the lead. You know that they need to take time off the clock, like put a running quarterback in there. You know, you you know that you can waste time with that, and uh, it was like Jim Tressel just completely lost his mind. And uh, I I was like, you know, watching the end of this game this morning, and I I kind of realized. That uh, having two quarterbacks that you think can start is a bad thing. It's bad to have two good quarterbacks or at least two decent quarterbacks because it makes you go insane. Um, and I think that having one good quarterback is the only way to have any kind of you know productive quarterback play. Because when you have two or three coaches, they just they decide that they can make it work with two, and you know we'll go we'll go two possessions with this one, and then we'll put in the other one, and they just You know, neither one is ever allowed to get into a rhythm. It's just, it's really bad. It's its kind of, it's hard to watch Ohio State's quarterback play in this game.
0: Unfortunately for us too, this was not the only time Antonio Pittman did not get enough carries against the team in Orange. This was only the beginning of (laughs) the neglect for Antonio (laughs) Pittman in a big game against a a very powerful opponent. We would be super remiss to not talk about the Ryan Hamby drop Uh, when it Hmm. happened and after the game. I told my mom I was gonna write Ryan Hamby a letter telling him that he sucked, and she, she talked me out of it. So thank you for that one, mom. I was a very bad 15 year old, and I will always love and appreciate you for uh, talking me out of sending Ryan Hamby a letter telling him that he sucked.
1: Yeah, kind of the original post game tweeting through it. <laughs> sending Seriously, a, end, a letter.
0: <laughs> I thought whenever I watch this game, I always think that that plays later on. Like I yeah. think if you go a long time without watching it. You I tend, didn't even realize. You it, tend to it. think yeah. that it was like 4 minutes left in yeah in the 4th yeah. quarter there was 5 minutes left in the 3rd and it would have been a 10 point lead and based off of what we saw from Vince Young in Texas that means that that game still would have yeah, been the, far from over but still with the way the defense was playing
1: the defense was locked down like the middle the middle quarters
0: that play really was one of the biggest if not the biggest in the game he had two chances to catch that ball and it it really just goes back to what we talked about with field position with finishing drives with the play calling and it's all just neatly wrapped up into this bow of they had so many chances to put Texas away in this game and they just couldn't find a way to do it and they could have and they should have yeah I I mean it really
1: does feel like you know Ohio State certainly should have won this game and they just uh they they didn't quite know what they were doing you know like it was it was like Jim Tressel hadn't fully learned um, how to like manage the games really late and that that was kind of a, a a you know a development later on in his career where he figured out how to do that but it was just you know it, it's certainly a really good game it's like a really high level football game really Uh, really talented teams it's really you know fun to watch like just from a pure football perspective but certainly frustrating to see how they handle it at the end and the fact that if Ohio State wins this game if Ohio State is just you know a little bit better against Penn State um, I think Ohio State would have had a pretty good shot against USC in this championship game I don't know if they would have won but with this defense with um, Troy Smith as the starter later on in the year with Antonio Pittman and San Antonio Holmes and um, Ted Ginn, San Antonio Holmes and Ted Ginn, who by the way were completely unstoppable on kickoff return for the entire game. They were unreal. I, I miss having good kickoff returners. I, I kind of realized that in watching it, and that was one of the two things that one well, this game really stood out to me as being like, man, I wish Ohio State still had that. Um, the other being linebacker play that doesn't suck. But it it really it, it was really frustrating to watch the end of the game. Certainly, like I said, a really good game. Um, I, I can see where you're coming from with the 2005 team being really talented because this line was just awesome. I mean, they were pretty dominant all game, and Ohio State's, the rest of the offense, didn't give them a ton of help. Um you know give the ball to Ted again a little bit more give the ball to Antonio Pittman a little bit more and they they probably win this game which is certainly disappointing
0: a couple other things i want to say about this game despite all of those mistakes in the third quarter and not taking advantage of field position they had the ball at texas's 30-yard line up 6 with 6 minutes left and justin zwick misses an absolutely wide open roy hall on a third down that may have put the game away and then Josh Houston misses a fifty yarder by the width literally the width yeah, I think he of the football. It, he? Almost. He just he might have nicked the upright, but for a fifty yard, like it was so agonizingly close. And despite all of the mistakes they made, even later on in the game, they still had a chance to win. And we've really only talked about the offense. And I wanna shout out to the defense in this game the because was so that bad. was one of the reasons I propped this game up, was because the heavy hitters All did their thing, and we talked about the guys on offense.
1: That Texas defensive backfield was nasty.
0: Both of the Griffins, Aaron Ross at corner, and we talked about him in the 2016 or the 2006 game, and Ted Ginn gets his revenge in a big time way over Aaron Ross (laughs) in that game. AJ Hawk is almost this like mythical figure, I think, with the way that (laughs) Ohio State fans talk about him. And I cut a highlight video of him. The other week and and there's just not a lot from 2003 2004 2005 so you really just had to be there to watch him if you want to see just how good aj hawk was go watch this game if only for that reason
1: three for a loss two sacks one interception
0: One forced fumble and one fumble recovery. He literally did everything.
1: (laughs) He recorded every stat.
0: It would be different if it was just like, oh, hey, he did this against a really good quarterback. He did this against arguably the greatest college football player of all time. I mean, he harasses Vince Young. The whole this linebacker unit whole does. The whole game, Bobby Carpenter has a huge game. Anthony
1: Schlegel was good, too. I think that was mentioned early in the broadcast that Ohio State probably had the best linebackers in the country. And, like, man, it, it really did. And I mentioned this kind of offhanded a minute ago. It almost kind of bummed me out watching these linebackers because, like, Bobby Bobby Carpenter, it's mentioned on the broadcast, was, like, 250 pounds. And he moved around like a football player instead of, like, someone who has a severe leg injury. Um, and like just having really good linebackers really helped this defense out a ton, and um, that was kind of the thing that slowed down Vince Young because he started off running all over the place, and then AJ Hawk kind of settles in, Bobby Carpenter settles in, Anthony Schlegel kind of settles in, and Texas was just not really able to do much of anything because of how good those linebackers are, and it, it really. Changed the way the whole defense played, and you've got Dante Whitner in there as well, who kind of served as
0: Ooh, the, that's my man. I yeah, love Dante kind of Whitner, the,
1: the original, the prototype bullet position. Uh, I think if you want to see what that'll look like, you can go back and watch this game because they run three-three-five, they run some nickel, and Dante Whitner did a, a really good job in that. He has a nice sack um, about halfway through this game. I think it was early second quarter maybe there's is that the one where Vince Young like almost throws an interception but he can't quite throw the ball away yeah
0: he's swarmed by like three dudes and he has the ball above his head and he's trying to get rid of it yeah and then yeah. later on he throws an absolutely egregious there was- <laughs> to AJ Hawk
1: <laughs> there was so that that specifically I, I'll talk about this real quick because it was a funny moment to me um the way I read that play as happening was that you know, he he's trying to look for somebody to, to throw the ball away to. He ends up not finding anybody. And then he gets right back up, and he goes to talk to his tight end about something. And I read that as, like, Vince Young, you know, kind of yelling at his tight end for not getting open, you know, and for not giving him a target to throw to. And the announcers immediately say, well, look at the character of Vince Young getting <laughs> up and going and talking to his guy, saying that it's okay. I was like, I don't think that's what happened.
0: <laughs> no i also love on that play too aj hot gets blown up by jamal charles on that return i mean he just lights him up on that return and that's a freshman in his second game jamal charles a couple other things about this game they flustered vince young as much as any other team in the country did that season and he had 20 carries For 76 yards and if you remember watching Vince Young live in that era if you can hold him to 76 yards and his long is with the start that he had
1: he had like 49 yards on the first yeah he
0: has his longest of 32 in this game and if you can hold him to whatever 30 something yards on his next 19 carries which includes sacks too but still If you're doing that to Vince Young in that era, then you got a damn good shot of beating Texas. And we're obviously an Ohio State podcast, and so we focus on the Ohio State portion of this. It goes without saying that credit due to Texas for hanging in there. And then that last drive, it goes to show the stones that Vince Young had to just calmly lead that drive down the field. And there's still people that say he couldn't really pass. The touchdown (laughs) pass at the end of the game that ultimately – ends up winning it for Texas. Just a beautiful pass that you don't see a lot of college quarterbacks make and it's a shame that his NFL career didn't go how it probably should have been gone after his rookie season because to me he's probably the greatest college football player of all time. He's the best that I've I've seen. And the way that he put the team on his back, not not just over the course of his whole career, but in the Rose Bowl against Michigan and this game against Ohio State in arguably probably the greatest national championship of all time just goes to show what level of player he was.
1: Yeah, f*** you, Jeff Fisher, for ruining Vince Young. <laughs> he, he was so good.
0: I agree, but I also think that Vince Young was very complicit in yeah. a lot of things. And he's yeah. he's admitted that, that you know the way that he approached the game, I think, uh, rather than just, like, on-field stuff, everything off-field. He did have
1: a very laissez-faire approach. Yeah,
0: he probably could (laughs) have used some work after he left Texas. And that's one of the funniest things in this broadcast, too, is at least once, and I know from watching other Texas games that season, uh, Brett Musburger's like, and Mac Brown, he's going to have to do a hell of a job trying to convince Vince Young to stay, but he's going to do his best. And then in the next year's broadcast of this game... He talks about how uh, Vince Young calls Mac Brown and Mac Brown knew he was gone when he pulled up to his house in a limo and it's like yeah, he is off to go get that NFL money, Mac.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the broadcast on the whole is good. I would I would definitely recommend like you said, you know, watching the full broadcast if people are going to go back and watch this. Um in a sentence or in a, a short paragraph what is your what is your official self or like why people should watch this game I, I think you're the best representative to to really give this game its its due
0: if you can get over the fact that ohio state lost which for me it's been 14 years texas won the national championship i'm as okay with it as i'm going to be at this point it's one of the best-played games in Ohio State history and I think one of the greatest in Ohio Stadium history. And if, if you're going to watch this game, it's for the big hitters. Watch A.J. Hawk do his thing. Watch the greatness of Vince Young. Watch Troy Smith try to work his way and get comfortable into the starting role. Watch Santonio Holmes look like every bit of the stud that he is. These are two of the best teams in the country. Two legendary programs and the atmosphere is one of the most electric in Ohio Stadium history. Yeah, I, I, think, that's a,
1: uh, I, I think that's a pretty good sell. Uh, Ryan Day, if you're listening, please, God, get us kick returners that are anywhere near where uh, Ted Ginn and Santonio Holmes was. That was my number one takeaway. I like kick returners that are good.
0: <laughs> you weren't a big fan of Mike Weber returning kicks? Uh, no,
1: not a huge fan of that. But uh, we need two C.J. Saunders. That's the issue. We don't have enough C.J.
0: Saunders. CJ's Saunders. You just can't help yourself. You nope. can't do it. We were almost done too. One last thing, and I swear this. Hey, is the I subtweeted
1: Tough Borland earlier on this episode. I, I that's number two.
0: Yeah, I, I stand. I, in, it I stand in solidarity with you. Um, <laughs> my my last thing. We talked about the 2006 team against the 2005 team at the end of the last episode. I stand rooted firmly, especially after watching this game about my opinions about the 2005 team. But I went back and looked at the Advanced Stats. They finished third in S&P Plus behind USC and Texas that year, and 2% is higher than what they were in 2006. They finished ahead of Penn State despite losing to them. That season, they played four teams in the top 10 of S&P Plus. That was a crazy season. They had the number one ranked strength of schedule. Ohio State went through the gauntlet that year. And even if they would have beat Texas, they wouldn't have even gone to the national championship because they lost to Penn State, who was 11 and one and won the Orange Bowl. That's what type of season that was. Yeah, that was a good year. Maybe for me, the only year that I think an eight-team playoff would have—you could have filled eight teams who were super good.
1: Maybe 2004 had some pretty good teams too. We're, we're not going to get too far into it because I would be uh, out of my uh, my element talking about seasons that happened before, like, 2013. But, um, you know, we got Auburn in 2004. USC was really good.
0: That whole era is, I think, my favorite in college football. It's a very strange era. The teams were great.
1: Yeah. It's it's like, that's kind of a blind spot for me is, like, early 2000s. I haven't gone back and watched a ton of that. Um, But there were certainly, I I think, that an eight-team playoff in, like, 2005 would have been really fun. I mean, I would support an eight-team playoff any year but that's just because i like watching football and i would like to watch more of it
0: (laughs) you know why that era is my favorite and me and uh my best friend who's one of my only friends who's like a super college football fan that i can regularly talk with about it is it was before college football kind of got nflized in the sense where like nfl fans just left college football alone Mm -hmm. like college football was only a thing For college football fans and maybe that's like a super hipster take or it's like I like this way before you did but even back then you didn't hear a lot of like oh well how is this guy gonna play in the NFL it was just like no this guy's a stud he's a great college player and over the course of time despite college still having a distinct flavor it's those two fan bases college and NFL and especially with the rise of you know, what draft culture is have kind of been merged together. And back then college football just kind of stood on its own. And that's why I really love this era, particularly.
1: Yeah, I could see that you can you can definitely kind of see the the influence sneaking in a little bit, even just in this broadcast. I think there's a part if I remember, I don't remember the brand, there's a part later on in this game where it's like, the Budweiser play of the game, or something, which I thought was <laughs> a little strange, but um, I, I definitely I could see that about early two thousands. There, there's something very college football about that kind of yellowish ESPN ABC broadcast score bug. Ooh,
0: that's my shit.
1: Yeah. Um, and then when they change that, it it just becomes uh you know like the college football broadcast in general. Uh, especially in like the late 2000s, it feels a lot like the design of the Fox football robot, um, which is a very uniquely NFL thing where everything is kind of robotic, everything is kind of um, just a little bit more sterile. And I, I could definitely see kind of early 2000s college football as being really the last era of college football where everything isn't kind of getting to that more corporate, more sterile environment but it's also not the 90s or the 80s where the the football and the uh you know the style of play is is kind of unrecognizable and, and hard to hard to truly follow so I think that it's kind of that that sweet spot where things haven't gotten so corporate yet things are also you know you don't have teams running every play out of the iPhone.
0: I hope everybody's not mad at me for putting a loss on this list and caping for it so hard but I promise there will be no what more losses gonna <laughs> no, no, they're not going to do anything they're just going to continue to give us two star reviews on Apple Podcasts. which please if you do like the show Go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a nice little review, subscribe to the show, follow us on Twitter at HolylandPod as we continue to roll on through our list of the top 20 most rewatchable games in Ohio State history we're really getting into i think some classics here over the next week plus and then once we get into that top eight then we really start to dig in and we'll do individual episodes when we get into the top five but on this next episode it's going to be number 12 and 11 i'm really excited for it can't wait it's two from the same season it looks like that'll be fun Ooh. Yeah, this is going to be really fun, and as we continue to climb up this list, I think it's going to get even more fun talking about some of the most fun games to go back and re-watch over the course of Ohio State history. But we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, and please leave us some feedback, and make sure to find the show on Spotify. Go on to Spotify, go to the podcast section, just search Land Grant Holy Land, keep up with everything we are doing there, and if you can't find it, just please send us some info, send us a tweet and let us know. We'll help you out and get you going on that one. But until the next episode where we break down number 12 and number 11, we bid you guys adieu. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land and go Bucks!